Well, this morning I want to continue in the series on what we call restoring apostolic community. And I just want to give a little bit of um, a description here why uh, I think when we started the series, I called it Restoring Apostolic Centers or something. And I thought about that, and a center is, you know, uh, we can say a church, a place, but community, I think, is a better term. It describes much more what we're talking about, because we're, we're not just meaning, when we talk about restoring the apostolic, that we are looking at um, recognizing and re-implementing um, the office of the apostle, um, as Ephesians 4.11 says, in, in the sense of God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Though that's important, because we have to recognize and affirm that gift if we're going to see the body of Christ come into its full potential and become activated to be a force in the world that penetrates the kingdom of darkness and, and establishes God's kingdom. That's very important, but... What we're talking about here is in a deeper sense, in a more broader application, that the entire church, all of the believers, as we come together, come on now, recognize that there's what we call, there's disciples, followers of Jesus, we're all followers of Jesus, uh, in that sense, or at least to one degree or another, we're trying to do our best. But then there's that sense in which God says, collectively, we become the church. Which the word church doesn't mean building, obviously. It means the people, right? It's a gathering of the people who not only gather, but who also go and govern. It's a people that are on mission, in other words. And that mission, of course, is to preach the gospel to everybody. So that everybody gets to hear the gospel and everyone is discipled. That's the commission of Jesus himself. So in a broader application, we're talking about where the church is once again aligned with Jesus' original mandate of becoming his followers on mission. His followers on mission. And to where? To all nations. To all nations. John 17, verse 18. It's a powerful verse. I want you to look at this. Where do we get the word apostle or apostolic from? It's a, it's a Greek word. And John, verse 17, John 17, verse 18. Jesus is speaking. As you sent, or you apostello me, into the world, I have sent, or aposteloed, them into the world. So this is the meaning of apostolic. It means to be sent out. Every one of us, he's speaking about all of those who would believe in the gospel, would become disciples of Jesus. And he's saying that even as the Father sent Jesus on a mission with the authorization of his kingdom onto the earth to go around to heal, to preach the gospel, to establish the kingdom. So Jesus, upon his death and resurrection, would raise up another people. He did that systematically on the earth for three years so that he would release those apostles and disciples, because they're also called disciples, to be a people that go into the world. So at Ignite Church... Our vision is to be an apostolic community, similar to the church in Antioch in the book of Acts. We looked at chapter 11 and 13. We believe that God has called us to be a multicultural, multigenerational family of faith that is committed to prayer. We could put that slide up, please. Uh, that is committed to prayer, discipleship, 
releasing and sending out others to fulfill the great commission of making more and better disciples, both at home and abroad. So our process or our methodology, our strategy, let me put it this way, includes these three things, to encounter, to equip, and to empower. Number one, we partner with the Holy Spirit so people experience genuine encounter. We believe that everyone, everywhere in the world has the privilege and we have the responsibility to help them encounter God. To introduce them to God so that they have an actual encounter with God. And that's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. And that's what we're doing. So we pray, obviously, as you come here on Sunday that you encounter God. And it's not just a one-time encounter. It's an ongoing thing. There may be an initial encounter that brings you to the place of salvation. But after that, we still need to encounter God. But then there are people out there in the world that they will not encounter God. They will not know who He is unless we represent Him, unless we take Jesus, so to speak, to them. And because He has given us that responsibility to preach Christ, to take the gospel to them. And then secondly, we want to intentionally equip people to live in their new creation, reality, identity as sons and daughters of the Lord. You have an identity, your new creation in Christ Jesus, and we want to help equip you to be able to live that out. And then lastly, we want to empower you. So it's not just being, but it's actually doing as well. We want to empower you to accomplish the mission of reaching others with the gospel, with the gospel wherever the Lord sends you. It might be in your place of employment, it might be in your home, it might be just here in Perth. Maybe you'll never go to another nation. That's okay if that's God's will for your life. And so we want people to understand that it doesn't mean, uh, when we talk about being apostolic, we're not saying you have to go to another country. What we're saying is that you recognize that you're on a mission. You recognize that God has called you and he's given you authority to preach the gospel, to make disciples. Where? Begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem is our home city. And for some people, they will stay there. That's okay. For others, they may be in the past. You've gone to other countries. You've gone to other cities. You've been involved in ministry. But now you're at a season in your life where that's not possible anymore. That's okay. We don't need to feel bad, but what we do need to understand is that we still have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to preach the gospel, to make disciples, so that people encounter God, people are equipped, and people are empowered to go out. And the process just repeats itself. It's, it's a, a cycle. So when we talk about being this type of church, what we are looking at in terms of a scriptural precedent found in the New Testament is... The church in Antioch, in Syria. And I mentioned already that the church in Antioch, actually Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So it was very, very significant. It was multicultural. It was cosmopolitan. It was located strategically in the crossroads. It was a trading route so that people that came went to other nations. So very, very uh, strategic in terms of what God was doing there. And there are at least seven characteristics found in the church at Antioch, which we believe are worthy of replicating, that these same characteristics should be part of our DNA at Ignite Church as well. Number one, the ministry of all believers. Number two, being multicultural, making disciples. Four, presence and power of the Spirit. Five, prophetically aligned. That's what I spoke about the last time. That we're aligned to God's purpose. We're aligned to his mission. 
and all that he has in store for our lives through the prophetic word of God as God speaks to us. And then sixthly, being apostolic in the truest sense that we're called to reach nations. We're called to preach the gospel, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The ends of the earth. Today is Pentecost. The day God fulfilled this promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's God's intention for his church carte blanche. It's no one is exempted from that, even though you may not personally go. We'll see later on in the message today that we all have a responsibility to partner and to cooperate to make sure that this great commission of Jesus is being fulfilled, not only locally but to the ends of the earth. The church in Antioch in Syria was an apostolic center, better yet, even an apostolic community. And they had a tremendous impact upon the Roman Greco world in their day, both in their city and then eventually beyond. They were sent out to make a significant uh, impact in their city. Now, I want to talk about today reaching nations. We're going to just focus on number six, reaching the nations. And I want you to just go back with me as we review again something that's very, very important that we understand about the church in Antioch. And that is that this church is the only church that was not started by the apostles or ministers. It was not started by ascension gift ministry. It was started by the lay people, so to speak. And when you look in Acts chapter 8, you see that the church had been advancing in the Jerusalem, Judea, but they stopped there. They were not reaching anyone other than Jews or both the, the, the ones that were even resettled from the, the Roman Greco world in the diaspora, but they had not gone beyond really Jerusalem and Judea. So what happens, we know there's this persecution that ensues. And uh, Stephen is killed. And then all of the believers are chased out of Jerusalem. The apostles stay there. But all of the Christians, the saints, not the ones who are standing where I am in the sense, but those who are the disciples are sent out. They think they're running for their lives, but actually they're running into God's perfect plan. God is taking them to different cities and places throughout the Roman world in that time. And when they come to Antioch, some of them end up preaching the gospel, not only to the Jews, but they do something unprecedented. They begin preaching to the Gentiles. And at this time, what occurs is God pours out his spirit. The hand of the Lord is evidently behind this. And the church, the leaders, the apostles in Jerusalem, they give ear of this. They get wind of this, and they say, wow, let's see what God is doing. And so they send Barnabas. Barnabas goes to Antioch, and he investigates. And while he's there, the Bible says he puts his seal of endorsement on this. He says, yes, this is God. 
God is moving. God is saving these people. He's doing something tremendous. Now we need to disciple them. So he goes to Tarsus and he retrieves Saul, whom we know later would be called Paul. And he brings Saul back to Antioch. And for one year, Saul and Barnabas stay there teaching great multitudes of people. It's a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. So here they are, probably near the end of that one year. What ends up happening, they're worshiping God, they're fasting. And there's actually prophets and teachers in the church. And the Holy Spirit speaks and says separate or appoint Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men lay their hands on them and send them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul, notice this, are sent out, which means, what is the word for sent out? Apostol, all right. So they are sent out. And who are they sent out by? The Holy Spirit. The people place their hands on them, the leaders, but Whose idea was it to send them out? That wasn't a good idea. It was a God idea, right? God is saying, send them out and preach the gospel. Okay, the work that I've called them to do. So they lay their hands on them and they send them out. So Saul and Barnabas immediately set sail to the island of Cyprus. They begin to preach the gospel on the island of Cyprus. God is moving powerfully. Many people are coming to faith. And then they moved beyond Cyprus to a place called what we call Galatia. And their methodology was they would preach the gospel, they would make disciples, they would plant churches, and then they would appoint elders. Not too complicated. Preach the gospel, what? Make disciples, plant churches or organize fellowships, however you want to say it, and appoint elders, leaders. So it's, this is what they're doing, and the Bible actually tells us, or if you count carefully, that there were probably seven churches that were established during that time, that mission trip. It's an amazing work of God. But not only do they go out and they preach initially, and then appoint elders, because some of these leaders, some of these elders that were appointed, um, guys, they've been only saved for a couple of weeks, and here they're given the responsibility to oversee this body of believers. And it wasn't just a small gathering. This was significant. Probably much more people than what we have today here. And the reality is, they were not just in one place. They were located all over in, in Galatia and in Cyprus. It's amazing what happens. But Paul and Barnabas realized that there's more to being apostolic than just going and preaching, spending a short time there organizing a church and appointing leaders. They realize there is a responsibility to establish or strengthen the churches. So in Acts 14, 21 and 22, we read, After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, and they'd moved on, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They went back to strengthen these believers. Very, very important because they needed further encouragement. They needed discipleship. They needed to be strengthened in their faith. Amen? And so... They continue this work. But then after the first missionary journey, they return back to Antioch 
in Syria. We read in Acts 14, 26 and 27. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been what? Committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And it actually says that they stayed there for quite some time, back at the home base. Now, here is the, the modus operandi. They're based in a church. They're, they're initially referred to as elders and prophets. But then God says, separate them, send them out, because it's time for the gospel to go beyond Syria. You know, God broke out of, of Jerusalem and Judea, took the gospel to the Gentiles in various places, including Syria, and he certainly did not want them to become insular. He did not want them to become ingrown and just a church that caught up and, and met together regularly and forgot about the original Great Commission. So guess what happens? God says, okay, you've been here a year. It's time to go out. Now, Saul and Barnabas, the leaders, are sent out. Did you notice that? It's not these new Christians that have been discipled for a year that are sent out, but it's actually the experienced seasoned leaders that are sent out. Very interesting. And they go out, they spend quite some time, several months, and they're gone, and then they come back, they stay for a while, and then they realize, look, we need to go back once again. We need to go and visit these churches again. So in Acts 15.36, after some time, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. It's a very simple process in which there is ongoing apostolic ministry. There is a sense in which, and by the way, historically, it is believed that we know, of course, especially on the second missionary journey, there was a division. There was a, a, a breach in that relationship, right, between Barnabas and Saul, right? And they ended up going their separate ways. But guess what? The team actually on the second missionary trip actually became bigger. There were more people involved on the team than just Saul and Barnabas, two blokes going out and preaching the gospel. Now there's a team. Barnabas is leading a team. Saul or Paul is leading a team as well. Where do you think the team came from? Well, if you read it, some of them came from Antioch, the home base, but some of them were new Christians. And they're being discipled and they're being raised up and they're part of the team that goes out and now accompanies Paul on this second missionary journey. It's an amazing thing. And so in this particular, um, you know, act that we see God, because remember it's called the book of Acts, but it's not the acts of the apostles, even though we call it that. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through apostles. God is the one who said, this is my idea, isn't he? It wasn't like Paul and Barnabas just one day woke up and said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we went and just started preaching the gospel? It wasn't just this random idea. It was the Holy Spirit inspiring them to do this. Why? It wasn't new. It was his original intention. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone should have the opportunity to understand who Jesus is. Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom 
must be preached or will be preached as a witness to all the nations, all the ethnic groups of the world, throughout the whole world, and then the end will come. So the longer we don't engage in the mission, guess what? The longer it will take for Jesus to return because he's not coming back until everyone, everywhere, has had the privilege Every ethnic group is what the word means, nations, to hear the gospel of the kingdom. And it's not the gospel of modern-day Christianity, which is often an incomplete gospel. You know, there certainly is a false gospel out there, isn't there? We know there are many false gospels. But there's also an incomplete gospel. And that incomplete gospel is that the, God, the true gospel is not in word only, but in power. In much assurance and in the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. So the gospel is in power. The kingdom of God is not in word, logos, but in power, dunamis. So if there's no power, if there's no manifestation, it's not the real gospel, or at very best, it's an incomplete gospel. And that's what Paul was meaning when he says in Romans 15 that he had fully preached the gospel he said, I fulfilled the preaching of the gospel, the original Greek says, because I ministered not just in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders following. That's the full gospel. The full gospel is not just a message, guys, but it's power. The power of God being manifested, transforming lives. Come on, when you think about it, what have we done in many places in the world? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And they're probably, yeah, that's us, Jesus. You know, we, we're amazing. Who's he speaking? The Pharisees. We're, we're good. You know, we're so devoted. We're so zealous. You travel land and sea to win one proselyte. To go even after one person to get them to become an adherent to your religion. But then you turn them, him, into twice the son of hell. Wow. Twice the son of hell. Come on now. Come on, guys. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Oh, thank you very much, Jesus. Of course, that's why they hated him. Because he said it the way it was. And in many places in the world, we're making proselytes, not disciples. The difference is disciples are disciples of Christ. They're not disciples of you or me or of a denomination or of a church. They're to be disciples of Jesus Christ. A proselyte is someone that adopts the, the teachings, the views, um, you know, even the religious um, belief system and rituals of a particular school or a, a thought, a philosophy or, or religion. But a disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus. So it goes beyond theory. It goes beyond doctrine. It goes past theology. And it has to do with encounter and relationship. That's what the true gospel is. So when we recognize this, this is what these guys were doing. And so they, they had this sense in which God had called them to preach the gospel to everyone who had not heard his name. And one day... Every person in the world, every ethnic group, will have the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus Christ. In many places in the world, still, there are many that have not heard. The statistics vary, 
but I've heard 30 to 40 percent, sometimes even higher, are still unreached people, people that have never heard the gospel. Many of them are in India. Many of them are in Indonesia. And some of them, believe it or not, are even here. There are people that are here that have come from countries where there is no gospel, there are no churches, they do not have access to a Bible, they're right here in our midst. God has brought them and placed them on our doorstep, and now he's saying, go, reach them with the gospel. And we have an amazing opportunity, but also a massive responsibility. As I said, today is Pentecost Sunday. The day that we commemorate what happened in that upper room when on the Hebrew Feast of Pentecost there were 120 of them gathered in one accord in one place. God poured out his spirit to fulfill what Jesus said that John spoke about the one coming after who would not only would not baptize in water but would baptize in the Holy Spirit in fire. Jesus said... Not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and Father. Behold, I will send the promise of my Father. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Behold, I will send the promise of my Father. And there they were, in that upper room, in Jerusalem. The nations of the world, devout Jews from all different places in the world, had gathered there because this was one of the most significant festivals. And they came to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost certainly marks uh, specific and significant events that happened in Israel's history. But it also was the occasion when they thanked God for the harvest, the incoming harvest of the wheat, of the wheat crops. So it actually speaks of harvest because Jesus said that wheat, what, represents harvest, right? Lift up your eyes, what, behold the fields. They're ripened unto harvest, right? And he's saying they're wheat fields. This is a wheat harvest. So wheat represents souls. So the day of Pentecost fulfilled not only that they were, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire, but that was a time when the nations came into the kingdom of God. They were mostly Jews. There were some, some proselytes, I'm sure. But they came into the kingdom of God as a result of experiencing the outpouring of the Spirit of God in Peter's fiery sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 saved. What an amazing thing. And God turned this fledgling group of disciples who just 40 days or 10 days prior had been hiding and, and were timid. I'm, I'm sorry, 40 days before that, 50 days actually. And they were, they were afraid. And God changes them. He turns them upside down. He gives them a boldness because they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. They had a flame for each one of their names. Each one. John, Peter, Mary, whomever it was, a flame settled upon them, is what the Bible says. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that it's time to claim your flame. It's time to claim your flame for the name above all names. God wants to ignite us with passion, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's not an option. Every one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've been filled, then maybe you need to rekindle, stir up 
Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you once again because the world is waiting on you. There are people down the street that are waiting on you. You know, one of the stories that we heard at at our conference is the importance of each and every Christian being engaged in sharing their faith. You know, sometimes we we want to invite people to church, and I think we need to do a better job of that. We need to all, as Christians, be engaged in inviting people to church. That's important. We need to do that. We've got some cards we're going to hand out later in the service that just have the name of our church on it, the service times, the address, and you can take some and hand them to people and invite them. Be intentional in doing that if you're not already engaged. Every one of us needs to be uh, active that way. I believe that. But guess what? Sometimes we have to share the gospel with them. Right there, right on the spot. And God gives us the opportunity to do that from time to time. There are times, obviously, when we can't do that. So give them a card. Invite them. But when you have someone and God opens a door and God gives you that opportunity to witness, share the gospel with them. One of the stories we heard is about a man who was part of the church in which our guest speaker pastors. And what ended up happening is he, um, at his, I think it was that uh, he went to buy a car. And while he was there to purchase a car, he felt that he was supposed to share the gospel with the, the, man, the salesman. And so he ended up, I might have the details backwards here, but... It was, he was a salesman. He was a salesman. Okay, so someone was trying to buy a car from him. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really challenged on details sometimes. But the gist of the story is still true. So what ends up happening, he as a car salesman feels compelled to go and speak to this man. Like compelled. You need to talk to this man. He needs to hear the gospel. So he goes and he shares the gospel with this man. He ends up, he gets saved. He gives his life to Jesus. He, you know, something profound happens to him. Something very real occurs. He knows that Jesus is real and, and he's now uh, been born again. Just a few days later, there's a follow-up call that's made. This man uh, is, is connected, from, uh, contacted, and ends up his wife answers the phone. And she shares that her husband had died. Just a few days later, he was planning on going to church this Sunday with you to your church, but he died. The fact is, if this man had not shared the gospel, he would have died before he even got to church, and he would not have heard the truth and the love of Jesus. We have a responsibility, every one of us. And guys, we have to overcome our personal challenges and inadequacies and struggles and focus on what Jesus has called us to do. God can change you while he's using you. Don't think that he has to change you before he can use you. There is a sense in which even when you're struggling, that God can still use you. I'm not saying... Live an outright sin and rebellion. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, in our struggles, in our weaknesses, God still can use us if we will focus on the truth and doing His will. So God wants us 
to be engaged in the harvest. And so remember Jesus said, Paul actually said this in 1 Corinthians 3. He said that one sows, one waters, but God gives the increase. God's the one who causes the growth. We can't cause the growth. And we quote that so often, don't we? And sometimes I'm concerned that we actually use that as an excuse for not doing our part. Oh, hey, God's going to save the world. No. He said, how will they hear? How will they know unless someone is sent, someone goes, someone preaches? Someone's got to open their mouth. Someone's got to go. Someone's got to respond to the leading in the spirit. And guess what? One plants, one waters. There are times in our life where we plant, and there are times when we, sow, when we water. But we should all be involved in planting and watering. There are different ways we could look at that. What does it mean to plant? Well, it means to share the seed of the word of God with someone. And when you read the context of 1 Corinthians 3... When he talks about watering, he doesn't mean that you're speaking to that person again about the gospel. What he's actually saying is they've now come to a place where they believed. The seed has been sown. They've been born again, not of what? Things of gold or silver, but by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And now that they've been born again, guess what? They have a need to grow. They have a need to be watered. And water speaks of discipleship. It speaks of praying for them. It speaks of teaching. It speaks of encouraging. But in some way, making a contribution to the growth and the development of someone. And there are many people who, even in the church, need to grow. I was reading this morning in Hebrews 5 where he says, By this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching others by this time, but you're still like little children who are on the milk of the Word. You're unskilled. You've not grown spiritually. You, you, you are not maturing. By this time you should be teachers, but you're still babes in Christ. And when you read that, you can see that the writer is obviously chiding them. He's saying, this shouldn't be, guys. You've had every opportunity. You hear the word of God. You've, you've had many opportunities to grow spiritually, to overcome. But you've refused to believe. You refuse to put down your roots and to grow at the place that you should. And so we all have a responsibility because either the gospel works or it doesn't. And I recognize there's some people that need healing and there are some people that need deliverance. Totally get that. I understand that. But guess what? Jesus is faithful. He'll do it. If you cry out to him and ask him to do it, if you seek someone who will pray for you and fast with you for healing or deliverance, no matter what it is, I recognize that. There's some people that are struggling with identity things. There's things from their past that are still attached to them. I get that. That's the reality. But I can tell you this. The Bible says if you continue in the word, you are his disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. As you continue to grow, as you continue in his word, you move from a place of believing to a place where you grow as a disciple. And eventually things will begin to change in your life. 
You'll begin to change. You'll begin to walk in a greater level of freedom. I know it doesn't happen all at once for some people. Some people, boom, they get touched by God. On the next day, they never struggle. They're never challenged with anything anymore. I get that. That's amazing. I wish that would happen to everyone. But often the fact is that some of those people do struggle later on in their relationship with God. They needed that in the beginning to just get them established, to give them some momentum so they can keep going because they were so deep in sin, so, so bound by the enemy that they needed something very supernatural to happen to, to set them free and to, to move them and push them forward. But deliverance is not a replacement for discipleship. We all have to dig in. We all have to grow. And we all have a responsibility to not only be disciples, but to help reach people with the gospel. How do I do that? Well, you can sow. You can share the love of Jesus with someone. You can tell them your testimony. But start praying and being intentional. God, who can I reach this week? When was the last time... You led someone to Jesus. Rhetorical question, don't put your hand up. When was the last time you even shared the gospel with someone? In the average Christian's life, in the average church, 50% of Christians do not ever share their faith. Ever. When was the last time you sat down with someone and helped disciple them. That's watering. Encouraged them. Prayed for them. I'm not saying that each one of us has the responsibility to disciple one. That would be great if God has gifted you in that way. I recognize, right? There's some he gave five, some three, some one. But it's according to your ability. But each one of us has a responsibility to contribute to the discipling of another person. Whether it's in the context of a small group or in whatever way, we all can make a deposit. We can all give some input into the growth and the discipleship of others. When you see people and, and all of a sudden they're not here anymore, it's the body's responsibility to reach out to the body the body is to do what we can do to try to help restore people it's our responsibility collectively it's not just the pastor's responsibility the body ministers to itself in Galatians 6 when it talks about restoring a fallen brother it wasn't written to the pastor or the leader of the church it was written to the body of Christ restore the fallen brother you who are spiritual help bring them back to Jesus we all have a responsibility Jesus said that the workers are few the harvest is great he said there's something we can do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out. Push out is what it means. 
force out those who need to go and reach, the, reach people with the gospel. And then, of course, right after he told his 12, his disciples, to, to pray this, he chose 12 of them, and he gave them authority to heal the sick, preach the gospel, minister in the power of the Spirit. You know, I shared this in our missions magazine last year. It's called Now Hiring. And I think it's probably good enough to go into this year's edition as well because it's so powerful. But there are at least three things that we can all participate in one way or another. And I believe in, in probably different times of our life it even can overlap. We can, first of all, when it comes to working, we can pray passionately. We can pray passionately. Colossians 4 verse 12 says this. Epaphras, a minister of Christ, was commended by Paul the Apostle for laboring fervently for others in his prayers. Guys, the meaning of the original language, laboring fervently, is wrestling in agony of prayer. Wrestling in agony. From the example of this man, Epaphras, who is a selfless servant of the Lord, we learn that true intercession is grueling, but always produces powerful results. Undoubtedly, prayer is man's greatest power. By it, we thwart Satan's strategies and we foil his plans. Prayer looses those that are held captive by the powers of darkness. Ian Bounds, who's written so much in prayer, said this, Praying men are a necessity in carrying out the divine plan for the salvation of men. So we can all pray. You say, I can't go on a mission trip. That's okay. Don't ever feel bad. For whatever reason, you can't go. Recognize this, that we can all pray. We all must pray. Think about Anna. She was praying day and night in the temple. Praying, praying, praying. That was her ministry. And it's a powerful ministry. Pray. Secondly, we can partner provisionally. What does that mean? We can give. We can give of our time, yes. We can give of our gifts, yes. But we're talking here particularly we give of our treasure. We give of our finances. We give. Third John 8. He actually says that we should support those that God is sending to preach the gospel, whether the evangelists, pastors, or apostles, or whomever they are. We should support them, and by doing so, we become fellow helpers of the truth. Fellow helpers. Another translation says we become co-laborers. So by laboring fervently in prayer, that's work. But by partnering provisionally, that's work, right? Because not only the person who goes, but the person who gives, God says, are equally important in the fulfillment of this plan. We all have a responsibility, and by giving and partnering provisionally, we end up becoming co-laborers. Isn't that powerful? Wow. Lastly, we can participate personally. We can participate personally. God is looking for those who will say, here am I, send me. Use me. Help me to reach someone in my school, at my place of employment, wherever it is. 
Help me, Lord, to do my part to reach someone. Give me your eyes. Let me see the opportunities that are before me every day so that I don't walk past someone who you clearly have set before me so that I can share your love with them. Help me to be sensitive. Help me to be spirit-led. Help me to do all that I can to participate personally. And if, God, you want me to go on a mission trip, I will go. You know, there are some who will not go, not because God hasn't asked them to go, or not because they can't afford to go, but because they know it's going to be an uncomfortable process. Right? They might have to sleep on something that, yeah, isn't quite as nice. There might not be hot water. I get that. I love hot water. I love a nice bed. But it's not about that. It's about fulfilling the call. It's about going where he calls us to go. And trust me, I do not like Filipino food. Hope nobody in the Philippines hears us. I don't like the food. But you have to do what Jesus said. Eat what is set before you. Off, do whatever is needed to reach them. Become all things to all men that you may win some. We all have a responsibility to pray, to give, or perhaps we can go. Not only locally, but even beyond that. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you, this year, before the year ends, we have two missions trips coming up. And you can be part of one or both. And if you say, I want to go, then look, begin to pray. We're going to Indonesia the 19th through the 26th. We've already talked about that. It's going to be amazing. We're going to Bali. We're going to be actually going into some of the villages, the Hindu villages, and reaching people with the gospel. We're also going to be involved in, in multiple churches are coming together, speaking in a, in a Bible school, in a church planting school. We're going to be sent out as, in teams to go to different churches on Sunday. Some of you are going to be asked to preach. I'm not telling you who. And you'll be asked to preach on Sunday. Yeah. Talk about being kicked out of the nest, right? Guess what? Just do it. Do it. Trust God. We have another trip in November to the Philippines. You can be part of that trip as well, the 12th through the 21st. We're doing a conference. We're going to do street ministry. We're going to minister in the slums. We're going to minister to children. We're going to do children's ministry. We have so many opportunities. So much is happening in the Philippines. We've been going there. Frankly, I'm glad I'm back home. I'm taking a break. I'm exhausted. Pray for me. I've been sick, but God has been with me and helped me. We've seen amazing things take place. But I now know that we need to raise up more people to go. And we need teams that will go. Well, I have a friend who pastors a church in Singapore. They send out a missions team every week somewhere in the world. Now, how many people are in the church? Yes, there are many people in the church. I'm not saying we're going to do that. My point is there are people that are willing. There are people that are interested. They're available. 
And if we will answer the call of the Lord, the Macedonian call, come and help us. It might be your neighbor. It might be someone you work with and you don't know what they're going through. But it might be someone in another nation. Come, help us. Come, share the gospel. Come. I remember going to places, preaching the gospel. I've been to a few places where they've not had access to the gospel. They've never heard it. And I had the privilege to tell them for the very first time who Jesus was. And I remember even one time when, when a lady looked at me and she sat down and, and she said to me, Pastor Glenn, I want to thank you so much for coming here and telling us about Jesus. But why did it take God so long to send someone? I wish we knew this years ago. How do you answer that question? You can't. And the same is true everywhere we go. There are people that are dying. There are people that are desperate. I told you the story about the young man from Africa who was abducted and forced to be a child soldier. Guys, he's here in Australia. He did not hear the gospel, as far as we are, I know, in Africa. He didn't hear the gospel until he came to Australia. Someone was praying for him, his mother. And someone was obedient to share Christ with him. Everywhere we go, there's opportunities. I want this morning to, in a, in a good and godly way, challenge us. Challenge us to do all we can to reach people. In the U.S. Army, you can make a choice to make your mark. With over 200 fields to choose from, you can join forces with us and take on anything. Visit GoArmy.com to answer, what's your warrior? You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.